It's the Friday News and Notes edition, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Feet close together. Larson is ready. Gets the sign. Two strikes, ball one. Here comes the pitch. Strike three. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, August 16th. It's show number 36 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great show for you with our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols and from the American League with Jock Thompson. We'll have our weekly Talk with Todd, featuring Todd Zola, discussing how to manage those categories in rotisserie formats. And in our regular Friday matchups analysis, BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield looks at the Braves' Julio Tehran facing Washington and Minnesota's Kyle Gibson against the Mets, among others. It's another big Friday show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? Where did all the 1,000 OPS guys go? We gotta talk some baseball. Yes, through Thursday's games, just three batters in the major leagues, Miguel Cabrera, Chris Davis, and Mike Trout, had OPSs over 1,000, and Trout was barely there at 1,001, just a couple of 0 for 4s from dipping below the magic number. If Trout does get below 1,000, we'll finish with only two hitters above 1,000, and that will be the continuation of a trend. How many 1,000 OPS hitters do you think baseball had in 2012? A point for you if you said zero, as in none. Not one hitter topped the 1,000 OPS mark last year. And in 2011, we had just two, Cabrera himself and Jose Bautista. In 2010, 9 and 8 together, we had just 10 hitters over the 1,000 OPS mark. How times change. Again, assuming Trout finishes the season below 1,000, in the six seasons from 2008 till now, we will have had just 14 hitters top the mark. Contrast that with the six seasons from, say, 1996 to 2001 when 72 hitters topped 1,000 OPS. What does this mean for fantasy players? We're not saying why, but it might be worth the extra buck on a top hitter because they're getting more rare every year. Nothing but 1,000 OPS hitters on our show. In our first inning, it's our League Watch News reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with players from the American League. And leading off, it's the National League report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Good to be here. Stephen Nickran at BaseballHQ.com. Nick writes an excellent uh, starting pitching buyer's guide column. And his most recent column was about changes to pitch mix. And this is an interesting idea about pitchers who are changing how many fastballs, how many curveballs, et cetera, that they throw. And it has an effect on their performance. And one of the names that uh, Stephen pointed to in looking at this issue was uh, Charlie Morton. Yeah, Charlie Morton is actually having a very, very, very good season. A uh, at this point a 3.79 ERA and uh, a, a 110 BPV. So really approaching elite status in terms of his of his skills. And what Stephen Nickran pointed out is that that Morton is using his fastball to get ground balls, but his curveball is his most dominant pitch. The batters are swinging and missing against that curveball 18% of the time. Uh, a 148 batting average against his curveball. 
and uh, so that uh, he, he's that that's what's inducing a lot of his uh, a lot of his current success with a 3.09 XERA. That uh, current 3.79 ERA could actually get a lot better. Yeah, that's quite something, and he's never been really known as a strikeout pitcher, but all those swings and misses on the curveball, he's got his dominance rate up to 7.0 strikeouts per nine, and he's still only walking under two guys per nine innings. Those are excellent numbers. They're outstanding numbers and a really great combination. So, uh, And, in fact, with that kind of control and with the dominance up, uh, then the downside becomes uh, much less likely to happen. In that same column, Stephen looked at Tyson Ross, the starting pitcher in San Diego, and since uh, July or so, he's been great. 2.08 ERA since July, 1.09 whip, dominance of almost nine strikeouts per, per nine, uh, 56% ground ball rate. I mean, this is this is amazing. Uh, as you said, he's had one of the game's best sliders for quite a while, and, and he's thrown that pitch over 400 times in, in, in 2013. Only one extra base hit against the slider. And then his four-seam fastball has picked up velocity as well. So using the four-seam fastball has uh, given him a second strong pitch. Uh, he, a third pitch would really, really uh, perhaps sustain the current success that he's having. But uh, he really has been uh, emerged this season and uh, re- really, I think, an excellent pickup. 106 base performance value, which is a combination that BaseballHQ.com puts together to combine all the uh, various metrics that we look at, strikeout rate, walk rate, ground ball rate, and so forth. 106, anything over 70 or so is pretty good. When you get over 100, you're talking really good. Yeah, you really, really, really are. And so, uh, you know, Tyson Ross is a guy who's been very quietly emerging this year. At 26 years old, he's got a good career ahead of him. Uh, Someone in a keeper league, I think, to stash right now before uh, – a lot of people become aware of what he's what he's doing. Stephen also is a very active uh, tweeter uh, from BaseballHQ.com. There are a number of us at the site who have Twitter accounts that you can follow. And uh, one of the people he mentioned in a recent tweet is not a starting pitcher. It's a reliever, the Atlanta reliever, David Carpenter. You know, David Carpenter is a guy we haven't heard a lot about, but he's been working very quietly in the uh, uh, buried sort of in the Atlanta pen behind, uh, behind their closer and behind uh, Walden. And so... Not a guy you hear a lot about, but his numbers have been have been amazing. At this point, in 46 innings, a 1.76 ERA. In those 46 innings, 52 strikeouts, a uh, 10.2 dominance rate, walking only 2.9 guys per nine innings. So here's a guy, if you're in a strikeout league and want some help with your ERA and, and your whip, uh, David Carpenter is a guy to look at. Uh, look yesterday, and he's only owned in like something like 2% of uh, CBS leagues, for example. Uh, very low ownership rate on David Carpenter. He's probably out there on your waiver wire. Uh, might be a useful pickup down the stretch. I was looking at his historical record as well, and uh, he's been very consistent, although there's not much of a ground ball tilt here, Nick, uh, around 40% each of the last three years, uh, admittedly in fairly short innings, but after a while you have to believe that a relief pitcher who's going 38, 42, 38 in three years is going to stay around that rate. What's really changed for him this year is he's not walking as many guys, and his strikeout rate has gone up a tick. It has indeed, and the other thing that's happening this year is he's keeping the ball in the park, a 5% homer per fly rate, uh, and, and that might go up as compared to 13% homer per fly rate a year ago, so that's made a big difference for him as well. Yes, it has. It's dropped his home runs per nine innings down below one, well below one, in fact, at 0.6, and to me that looks like a little bit of a cause for concern because of the home run per fly ball rate rather than a ground ball increase. Uh, it sounds like he's giving up just as many fly balls, but so far, at least this year, they're not sneaking over the fence, and sometimes that changes. And for relief pitchers, it can change in a hurry. It can indeed. It can change very very, very quickly. So, But but uh, might be kind of a sneaky play at the moment, but uh, we need to keep an eye on that uh, on those potential home runs.
And finally, Dan Becker, who writes the Batting Buyer's Guide at BaseballHQ.com, took a look at uh, the players who are leading baseball in home runs and stolen bases separately since the break. And one of the names that popped off on his list was the Mets outfielder Eric Young. You know, Eric Young's a guy that we've liked a long time. There's no doubt that Eric Young has tremendous speed. The problem with Eric Young has been his ability to get on base. And since uh, in the month of July, Eric Young stole 13 bases and 103 at-bats. Uh, he came over to the Mets. They gave him a chance to start, uh, and he really put that to good use on the base paths. At the same time, he had a two fifty two batting average, a uh, three fifty eight on base percentage. So managed to get his walk rate up a little bit in July, uh, get on base a bit more, and, and really took advantage of it. The, the, the thing to be careful of, though, as you look back at Eric Young, is historically here's a guy who's had a bit of trouble getting on base, and August begins to look like uh, his past uh, his past career. He's hitting only 189 in August, one stolen base, uh, on-base percentage down to 232, walk rate back down to 5%. So uh, a, a great month of July for Eric Young, uh, and, and was getting a real good chance to play with the Mets. Uh, now we start to look at uh, his beginning to fade a bit in August and wonder how much longer they'll keep him in the lineup. Yeah, definitely the stolen base count is going to be hugely dependent on how much playing time he gets. And I was just looking in the last couple of years, 2011-2012, Nick, his on-base percentage actually wasn't that bad at 335 and 364 respectively. But that was in less than 200 at-bats both times, and he's a fairly slight guy. And I wonder if maybe just the grind of playing every day wears him down to the point that he just stops being effective. I don't know what it is, but as you said, uh, now that he's been in the lineup regularly for quite a while, that on-base percentage is really plummeting. It is indeed, and so I think some concern, as you said, it may be a physical thing. He may be starting to wear down as we get into uh, into the dog days of uh, August here. And, and so some way to, to, to keep an eye on is, is he fading? Uh, certainly could be. All right, Nick, thanks very much for talking with us. We'll catch up with you again in a week's time. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Harold Nichols writes for BaseballHQ.com, and he's our man on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn to the American League. And BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to the show. Hi, PD. Delighted to be here, as always. We should start by talking about the save situation in Houston. I know it sounds funny to even consider that a team with so few wins could have saves, but if you're looking for saves down the stretch, if the category's tight for you, uh, they have a couple of possibilities here. Chad Jen Lowe got the Houston save the other night, and Josh Fields got one a few nights later. These guys look like the two favorites. Which way do you think this ball bounces? Well, it's interesting. We talked about this a little bit last week, and, and I, I got to watch both of them because they were pitching on the West Coast here in Oakland. Chijen Lowe really escaped with his save the other night. Um, he almost got taken deep twice. There was a home run replay. He's a little more under control than Fields is. He's, he's got a more well-rounded uh, repertoire, um, but he's around the plate, and, and I think it hurts him. He's not overpowering. He throws 93-94 uh, fastball, but his fastball doesn't move a lot. Fields is a little different. He's he's almost a one-pitch guy. He has an explosive fastball. He doesn't get his breaking pitch over. And um, he uh, punched out uh, Josh Reddick last night to finish his save on a, on a high fastball. It's one of those things where if you're an aggressive hitter, it's kind of tough to lay off that fastball. But uh, like you said, the Houston saves are going to be so far, few and far between. I'm not sure I'd take a chance on either one of these guys. But if, if, if you need one, um, boy, it, it's it's a toss-up. They're real different. Yeah, I don't know that I'd look at either one of them seriously, but sometimes you have to take a shot at lightning in a bottle. Uh, it is a tough call to make. Maybe get them both. 
if you can, uh, it might be a little late for that. Fields, uh, I, I think Fields may have more blowups than than Lowe. Um, he, he, I didn't see him throw a, a good curveball at all last night. I think it's all fastball with him. He reminds me a little bit of a of Ernie Frieri with worse control. Jock, the Oakland A's have been very strong all year, led by very good performances from their starting rotation. But now that's become a bit of a weakness. Bartolo Colon has had two bad starts in a row. Tommy Malone got demoted. Uh, Brett Anderson's coming back. You've touched on this Oakland pitching situation in your American League West Divisional Outlook column. Has anything changed for you? It's interesting. One of the announcements that uh, came out of Oakland this past week was A's manager Bob Melvin's suggestion that Brent Anderson is going to be used in relief on his return, which is actually an issue I raised back in early July when the A's rotation was pitching a little bit better than it is now. The bottom line on Anderson, per se, is he hasn't held up well as a starter, so why not try something new? But, of, of course, with the, the current A's inconsistency, all bets are off, so he's going to come back where he's most needed. I was kind of surprised by that Brett Anderson announcement, but it does make a certain amount of sense. He simply hasn't shown any kind of stamina in, as a rotation starting pitcher, so maybe they want to keep him in the lineup, getting him to do something. Who knows? Uh, you also mentioned at the time an interesting name, the rookie Sonny Gray. And he was called up to take a start, and his first start of his career was against the struggling Blue Jays. Still wasn't that great. Six hits, four walks, four runs, only two of them earned, and the loss. Do you think the A's are looking at Sonny Gray as a factor down the stretch? Yeah, I do. And I actually watched that game, PD, and it wasn't as bad as it sounds. Um, if, if you look at the scores, it was a PQS4. He struggled in the first inning with his command, and he had some really terrible defense behind it, and not all of it uh, shows up in the uh, in the hits and errors. Um, Cologne may be imploding before our eyes. Straley has been wildly inconsistent from start to start, and, uh, and Griffin has been giving up home runs by the bushel since the second half be- uh, be- began. Um, Gray is... Uh, uh, an interesting guy. He struck out uh, a batter an inning in uh, in AAA, and I and I watched his velocity uh, this uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago in his first start. Um, and uh, he's got a terrific curveball. He's got a mid ninety fastball. It's all going to be about command with him. If he can uh, keep the jitters down and command, I don't see how the A's don't open up some sort of a role for him, either starting or as a swing man. Uh, the A's are uh, uh, they're a team who's in the bottom tier in AL strikeouts. And we're fast approaching an all-hands-on-deck situation in their divisional race with Texas. I see a spot for Gray on this team somewhere. And the Texas Rangers have been playing really well. And one of the things that they're still apparently looking for is a little bit of added power. And that makes something that the Twins did look a little bit intriguing. Justin Morneau cleared waivers for the Twins, and that sets up a possible deal. And, of course, the obvious solution for Morneau with his concussion issues may be to play on an American League team that needs a DH spot and a little production, Texas being one of them, Baltimore, the Yankees perhaps. Who do you think benefits in Minnesota if Morneau goes somewhere else? Well, the guy I really like is a sleeper, uh, Chris Colabella, who's been doing much better the more playing time he gets in uh, in Minnesota. Um, he sat for a couple of days uh, uh, last week after the return of Josh Willingham, and it, it kind of made his fantasy owners apoplectic given the progress that Colabella's been, been uh, making recently. I think his owner should hang in there because I, I think Minnesota is attempting to deal either Willingham or Morneau, and I don't think they're going to sit Colabello for any significant time in September, if, even if this doesn't happen. Uh, Morneau's contract ends this year. Willingham ends in uh, 
2014. Neither is going to be around for the next good Minnesota team, and I think Twins management realizes this. But, Jock, uh, Colabello is not exactly a prospect. He's 30 years old. No, you're right, and uh, and that's the interesting thing. This is a guy who hit 24 homers and hit 254 and 322 at-bats, and this wasn't in the Pacific Coast League. It was in the International League. Um, his biggest issue is contact. Now, granted, he's 30 years old and he's an older guy, but but again, this 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 is a guy I think who who could provide some fantasy help down the stretch, and he could carve out uh, either a platoon role or even a full time role for a couple of years in the majors. So I I've seen stranger things happen. Jock, our speculator columnist Ray Murphy at BaseballHQ.com suggested that Rajai Davis of the Blue Jays could lose some playing time down the stretch. But uh, it seems at the time he wasn't aware that Toronto was going to put Colby Rasmus on the DL, trade Emilio Bonifacio to Kansas City, as Matt Dodge noted in playing time last week. Who are the winners and losers in Toronto here and in Kansas City? Well, first off, in Kansas City, Bonifacio has been terrible all season. I mean, he, he can't play second base defensively. And Kansas City already has a better speedster with uh, uh, Bonifacio's offensive sc- skills and better in Jared Dyson, though they, they don't seem to realize it at times. Uh, for some reason, obviously, the Royals think his speed and versatility are going to come in handy as they, they fight for a wild card, even though I don't see him playing every day unless he somehow starts a, a torrid streak that, that's nowhere in sight right now. In Toronto, it's, yeah, it's kind of funny. I think Ray got hit by the curse. Uh, Davis is clearly the big winner right now uh, with these with these trades, and this coming on top of Melky Cabrera's DLing with a knee issue. Um, the first call up for Toronto is is uh, is Kevin Pillar, who's a who's a minor league guy. Uh, uh, he's a contact guy. He he has no power. He's got a spotty running game. He's stolen 15 bases, but he's he's been caught seven times. Anthony Ghost is still an interesting name, but he has just had a terrible year in uh, in the minors. He's hit uh, he's hit 240. Uh, he's never been uh, uh, particularly good batting average-wise, and even his running game has fallen apart. He's 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 been caught 13 times uh, in 35 stolen base attempts. So, it's going to be interesting to see what Toronto does in the outfield here. I guess they could try some of these guys, Pilar and Anthony Ghost and stuff. But for right now, at least, it looks like Rajay Davis must be the big winner because those guys, frankly, don't look like that tremendous of alternatives, and there doesn't seem to be anything else for the Blue Jays to do. Yeah, if you're a fantasy player who believes in riding the hot hand, and 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 sometimes it's it's definitely better to be lucky than good. Toronto's a situation you want to watch in the outfield because whoever gets hot is going to play, and uh, you know anything can happen in these last four or five weeks. Any name in the world can uh, can get hot, put up a, a a good hit percent rate, and and do well for you down the stretch. But you sure can't bet on any of these guys, can you? You know, I think I would bet on Rajai Davis if only because. He's been on the roster all year. They're certainly going to give him every chance. And if nothing else, he reaches base enough to make his speed a valuable weapon, and he certainly can steal bases. Yeah, definitely. Davis is the one name here that really stands out because of his stolen base ability and his experience, no doubt about it. In Detroit, uh, Jock, Alex Avila, the catcher, went on the DL. That puts Brian Pena at the front of the uh, lineup for the powerful Detroit squad. But what does Brian Pena bring to a fantasy option? Brian Pena has has been a, a mildly interesting guy for a long time because as a catcher, he's always had this uh, upper 80s, low 90s contact rate. And he's still that, but that's, that's really all he brings to the table. 
The interesting thing right now for fantasy owners needing catching help is that Pena's been red hot recently. He's hitting 405 in his in his last 37 at bats. And of course, it's all about the hit rate. And it's it's like we were saying about uh, the potential Toronto outfielders. It's better to be lucky than good sometimes. So if you're looking for catching help, he's getting the playing time and he's got a hot hand. So he's the kind of guy you might be able to ride for another week or two if uh, if uh, that 90% contact rate results in hits. And if it does, it figures to uh, give him some RBIs as well. And if he happens to be standing around on base when uh, Miguel Cabrera or Prince Field or Jacks went out of the park, he can jog home, maybe give you a few runs as well. And finally, uh, Jock, will go into your backyard there in Los Angeles. The Peter Borjos is going to be back with the Angels any day now. Uh, that looks like a fairly crowded Angels outfielder. Uh, that looks like a crowded Angels outfield. You've got Mike Trout. He doesn't appear to be going anywhere. Josh Hamilton's getting paid too much to be going anywhere. Shuck, Calhoun, Mark Trumbo, now Burgos. How does this shake out? Well, Trumbo's pretty much over at first base now, given that, that Pujols is, is out for all intents and purposes for the year. Uh, you're right, Trout's not going anywhere. I almost expect Hamilton to sit a little more down the stretch against lefties. Uh, obviously, the Angels aren't going anywhere, and Hamilton has been pretty bad against left-handed hitters. The Angels really need to give a look at Borjos and Shuck and Calhoun. Um, these are guys, they're, they're, they're not world beaters, but uh, but Borges is actually hitting over 300 and, and really putting his speed to work uh, when he hasn't been injured. Um, it's been kind of a lost year for him. He's had all kinds of injury problems. Uh, a lot of them haven't been his fault. Uh, this last one, he was hitting the wrist with a, uh, uh, a pitch. Um, He's going to get some time to build his value back. Uh, Calhoun is an interesting name. He's had a, we talked about him last week. He had a really good uh, trip. He had a real good AAA in uh, in Salt Lake City, and Shuck surprisingly has been hitting 290 and making good contact. And on an offense that has really been inconsistent, uh, there's something to be said for that. Um, I think the Angels are going to mix and match in their outfield. Don't be surprised to see Josh Hamilton sitting a little more. There's been some reports because Grant Green, who was acquired from the A's, has pretty surprisingly effective at second base. And uh, while Howie Kendrick's been on the DL, Kendrick's going to be coming back. And I've read reports that say Howie Kendrick might find his way back out into the outfield. He played there a few years ago. Yeah, it's a good point, PD. Um, Kendrick has played outfield off and on for the last three years, and a couple years ago he got over 20 games there. Um, that's another possibility. Um, depending on Kendrick's knees, that may, might be a place they use him for the rest of the year. They might put him more at, at DH, which again has opened up for all these names. I, I should have mentioned that uh, uh, all of these outfielders that I've named are all going to get time at DH, given the fact that Pujols is, is now on the DL. But uh, Grant Green is definitely getting an audition right now, and uh, even if there are questions about his fielding, he's been hitting well since coming over to the Angels. So expect that to continue. All right, Jock, thanks very much for the insights. We'll talk to you again next week. Okay, PD, thanks a lot. Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com and our American League beat reporter here at Baseball HQ Radio. Coming up, it's our weekly Talk with Todd featuring Todd Zola. This is Baseball HQ Radio. Hi, I'm Ray Murphy. I help run things at BaseballHQ.com. I'm inviting you to join me at First Pitch Arizona, November 1st through 3rd in Scottsdale. It's three days jam-packed with seminars, scouting reports, workshops, and fantasy drafts. And best of all, First Pitch Arizona is three great days just talking baseball. 
with hundreds of serious fantasy players like you and all the top industry experts. And don't forget the ball games. First Pitch Arizona is your chance to scout 2014's impact rookies, including the annual Rising Stars All-Star Game. Visit www.firstpitchforums.com to get the skinny and to register. Sign up by August 31st to get a 40% discount on the registration fee. It's like getting Miguel Cabrera in the seventh round. First Pitch Arizona, come see for yourself why the fantasy baseball winners who attend every year call it the most fun you can have outside of draft day. We'll see you there. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio, the Friday News and Notes edition. I'm Patrick Davitt. You want to keep your eyes peeled this week at BaseballHQ.com for these features. Dr. HQ, Rick Wilton, looks at Tommy John surgery. Our daily call-ups report looks at prospects like Toronto outfielder Kevin Pillar and Pittsburgh first-base outfield prospect Andrew Lambeau. Ron Chandler's analytics column is about tweaking the delicate balance of the BaseballHQ.com models. Plus, we have our regular features on playing time, facts and flukes, buyer's guides, division outlooks, more pitcher matchups, and a lot more besides that as well. Now it's time for our regular Friday Talk with Todd. It's a pleasure to be joined by Todd Zola, contributor to BaseballHQ.com, MastersBall.com, KFFL.com, and ESPN.com in the insider section of their fantasy baseball coverage. Todd, welcome back to the show. Really great to be back, Patrick. First of all, before we talk fantasy baseball, what did you think of Alfonso Soriano? Six RBIs one night with a couple of home runs. Comes back the next night, two more home runs, seven RBIs, 13 in two games. Uh, what's going on with Alfonso Soriano? It's funny. Not many of these, you know, trades, sometimes these interleague trades, they don't work out and, you know, you're disappointed and all that sort of stuff. Man, he's uh, he's sure taken back to his old home pretty well. Um you know, this is what Soriano does. I mean, he's quietly averaged 30 homers the past couple of years, so it's not as if he came out of nowhere. I think he's a, kind of a neat little story, how, you know, the evolution of, of Soriano as the ball player. Good story to see. Takes the, uh, the highlight or the spotlight away from some other things going on in New York, and that's not a bad thing right now. You mentioned that Soriano is on track for another 30 home run season, which would be his second in the last two years. He's also stealing a lot of bases a game. This year, he's he's uh he's got more steals this year than than he's had in, in the past several years. He's got eleven steals so far, and he hadn't had double digits since two thousand and eight. But um, you know, I think people still may have the impression the old you know twenty twenty thirty thirty forty forty guy over the years. Right. But you know, he's he, the past several years he hasn't stolen. Uh, I I often think steals are are are, are not just your 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 skill so to speak. Sometimes when you're having a good year, everything's going right. You just you're stealing as well. So many people to me have like a spike in steals during a year where everything else is going well, and then you expect those steals to stay, and they don't when other things don't go as well the following years. And I think this is just one of those years late in his career where everything's coming together, and you know he's he's back to being I don't want to say five category contributor because his average is still a little bit low. But, you know, 11, 11 steals from a guy that hits 24 homers is, is pretty good. And how, how does this kind of a season at a, for a guy of this age affect him when we're starting to look at 2014? We're doing our uh, our prep sheets and our cheat sheets. Does Alfonso Soriano get a little bit of a upward nudge because of this uh, pretty decent performance, or are we still very cautious because of age? I think that he's a guy that I'm going to look at, but 
I think there's going to be so much other caution out there that I'm not going to have to jump him up my sheet, so to speak. You know, the, the age and the, the potential injury risk. You know, then we talk, you know, we talk injury risk too. This is going to be his third year. Well, actually, it's been since 2009 that he's going to, the last time he played 117 games. So he's going to play 135 games uh, for the fourth straight year. I of course, I was saying this about Aramis Ramirez coming into this year, and that, oh, he's no longer injury prone. He's, he's, he's playing, you know, every day again. He's played more innings than anybody else. And, of course, I've got Aramis Ramirez on my reserve in four leagues. Yeah. I think that he's a guy that you can look at as your the back end of your outfield. I don't know that you want to jump him up in the rankings because I don't think you have to. I think there's still going to be so many people out there that love the younger players that he'll be there for you as your fourth or fifth outfielder. Well, I know I got him in Tout Wars in a mixed auction for 4 or $5, and I'm glad of it. Like you said, he's not a big help in the average category, but he's certainly more than helpful in home runs and, as you mentioned, in steals. Uh, what, what do you think of uh, Miguel Cabrera has six or seven home runs in his last 10 games, something like that, and he's getting a little closer to Chris Davis. He's also leading the other two Triple Crown categories. Any chance Miguel Cabrera with that bad wheel can make a run at Chris Davis for a second straight Triple Crown? Sure, there's a chance. Uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, this time next week, you could be asking me about the five home runs that Chris Davis hit over the weekend or something like that. That's just the way it goes. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's he has made it interesting again for a while. It was like, oh, well, you know, we won't, at least we won't have to use the triple crown debate when we go into the MVP talk this year. Uh, but he's, he's certainly made it interesting again. And like you said, with the bad wheel, that, that homer he hit off of Mariano when he fouled the ball off his foot twice and then, you know, then put it over the fence was just, just you know, he's shaking your head and you think you're watching a movie there for a moment. Um, it's just it's just absolutely incredible. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, Davis will go on another run. Uh, with his with, He's still striking out a lot, so he's going to have the peaks and valleys. But the, the valleys are shorter and the peaks are higher this year for Chris Davis. I don't think we're done. I don't think we're done seeing home runs from Baltimore yet. No, and it's a pretty favorable park for him, unlike Miguel Cabrera playing in Detroit. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now, you know, I, I think they they both can hit you know homers out of any park, uh, and we haven't seen too many cheapies from either one of them. But um, yeah, you're right. You know that that you know if we're talking an edge of one or two, I think we can go to the end of the year and look back, and we can probably find a couple of you know just barelys that Chris Davis hit that that may be the difference. We've made the point here at Baseball HQ Radio and and lots of people elsewhere. A big thing about Chris Davis's home run production is that he's hitting them to all sides of the, of the ballpark, which makes it much more difficult for him to fall into a slump by being pitched away. Yeah, the opposite field power this guy has shown is just insane, and I think it's it kind of it could be the difference I think between you know the, the slump, a long slump, and you know a one for four in the middle of a slump to give you your confidence back, so you're not talking about your slump anymore. It's uh, it's such a it's such an easy swing too. I, it doesn't look to me like he's going, you know, purposely going, he's going with the pitch is what he's doing. He's not, you know, purposely going the other way. Like you see sometimes, you know, I see a lot of games in Fenway and you can tell they tailor their swings lefties to, to go to the wall. He's not tailoring his swing, just going with the pitch. He's not trying to pull an outside pitch. He's going with it and he's got enough power and loft that it just, it just clears the wall all the time. With Chris Davis having this great year, Paul Goldschmidt in Arizona having a great year and adding a lot of uh, stolen base value to his power performance and general batting performance, who do you think is the top first baseman in next year's drafts? Uh, still Goldschmidt for me. You know, Obviously we're talking mixed leagues. 
I, you just said it, the, the stolen bases is still the difference. You know, and there's still, I think we have to expect some give back from Davis this year. He still does strike out a ton. Um, you know, he's he's jumping up on my boards. Uh, I may even have him behind Encarnacion uh, at this point as far as safety goes. Davis has got the higher upside, but this is going to be the second straight year that Edwin Encarnacion challenges 40 home runs. Uh, but I, I, I've got Goldschmidt as a potential top five pick next year overall. Uh, I think he has shown the contact gains that we needed to see, and he's kept them. Like you said, those steals. He's to me, he's the uh, the current version of Jeff Bagwell, as far as you know, the the thirty something homers and fifteen steals. And Bagwell was a top five player back in the day. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola. And, Todd, you had a research piece recently at BaseballHQ.com looking at a very important uh, issue, which is how to manage the categories in the stretch for rotisserie-style fantasy baseball. And one of the things you found was that there isn't as much difference in the volatility of the categories, your capacity to move in the categories, as we sometimes think, especially the idea that ratio categories are harder to move in than counting categories. To this day... You know, I can probably go to the web and, and find you five pieces that have been written this week talking about forget ratios, forget batting average. It's too late. We have too many innings and too many at-bats. Focus on the counting categories. And there's one out there, mine, that says don't, that, that you can still move in there. Now, I noticed this anecdotally, you know, from just following my teams and, and you know, trying to win leagues. You know, I noticed it anecdotally, and then, you know, people don't, necessarily believe anecdotes they want numbers so over the years come up with a couple of different ways to to show them on paper uh that it's true you know other than the challenge of following follow your leagues at the end and they always come back to me and say you know what you were right but uh if you some of these some uh stat services they will actually tell you the movement in the category and i was able to archive the 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 2012 nfbc season and was able to archive or, or, or actually add up the movement in all the categories for the last day of the season. And adding it up, there was as much movement in ratios as there was in the counting categories across the board. Matter of fact, the two, two of the highest ones were ERA and, rate and WHIP. There was more movement in the ERA and WHIP than there was in some of the other counting categories. Batting average was in the middle of the pack as far as the hitting goes. Uh, this is the first year I actually had that data. Previous to that, I would show how you can condense the standings. Every number, the numbers within the, cat the categories, the, they all added up to a thousand, and you distribute the numbers uh, the same as the categories themselves, and you see that the ERA and the ratios, uh, ERA and the WHIPs, are bunched together. The 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 high is lower and the low is higher. Uh, numbers as far as stats go, so that the closer they are bunched together, the the more movement. You don't have to move very much in ERA in order to get that extra point or two because they're so bunched together. And, of course, when you say that, we should caution anybody who's listening, you've got to look at your own league because just because the general rule is that the bunching is tight in a ERA or WHIP, your league might be different. You might be at the top of a very big bunch with a huge gap, or you might be in the middle of a very – a uh, small bunch with great opportunities to get a bunch of points. Be sure to look at your own league. Uh, you also said in that article that ERA tends to move towards WHIP. What did you mean there? That you know, there's more 
luck-based results, outcomes with ERA than there is with WHIP. You know, WHIP does have the hit component, and there is a little bit, you know, there's some luck involved with the hit rate, but there's more luck involved with the ERA. And over the years, at the end of the season, most teams are within two rotisserie points of each other in ERA and WHIP. You know, if you finish with an eight in WHIP, you're probably going to have between six and ten in ERA. Uh, and if there's if the gap is more than that, the ERA tends to move towards the WHIP because the WHIP is is more stable. It's just something to keep in mind when you're, you know, especially in keeper leagues, if you're trying to decide if you're close enough to make the move to make that you know to make that trade to go over the top, or if you're just too far out to to you know so you rebuild. When you start doing the plus minus in each category. Uh, Consider even this late in the season. It, it, it's more often than it, earlier, but even this late in the season, the, the, there will be you know there's there's a reason. A couple of your pitchers are probably, you know, their expected ERA is is completely off from what their uh, the real ERA is, and there you know once those pitchers correct, your team's ERA will will obviously follow, and you know with only say five or six starting pitchers and then a couple of relievers. It, it doesn't necessarily balance out. You can have a team that that stays, you know, that 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 that's fueled, that's pulled in one direction or another by just one pitcher. And when that pitcher corrects, you know, he'll the, the team will correct too. When you said that ERA contains more luck components than WHIP, it also put me in mind of the factor that sometimes people don't remember, and that is if a pitcher leaves during an inning and and there are runners on base. A lot of his ERA now is in the hands of the reliever that comes in, and many teams handle that poorly. And because it's the sixth inning and not the eighth inning, they'll put in a, a middling or a poor reliever who allows those runs to score, which uh, counts against the the book of the starting pitcher. Whereas when he leaves the game, at least he can't get any more WHIP uh, counted against him. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And and that it also has to do with. Um you know, reliever ERAs and, you know, leaving the game and, you know, the game's just over and then, you know, that sort of thing. But absolutely, um, that, that, the, the runs do, do pile up. Now th- those, you're not going to get back <laughs> though, you know, th- those happen and they're, you know, you, is, you know, you're never going to get those back, but that sort of, I think at some point gets, gets factored into the expected ERA calculation number of base runners, that sort of thing. But sure, there's going to be a couple players, a couple of pitchers that have, more runs let in and then you know as hq knows that's what the strand rate's all about so when you look at an individual pitcher you can you can you can you know figure that out um the other thing that probably needs to be mentioned along these lines is sometimes if you have a staff that has a a lot of ground ball pitchers this is the old this is the gene mccaffrey a wise guy stuff that he loved to sort of one of the first ones to really hammer on this and make you know really really discuss it so it was out there you know ground ball pitchers will have more base hits but they'll give up fewer runs so their whip will be a little out of proportion to the era uh in that regard whereas fly ball pitchers they give up fewer hits because fly balls uh get caught more than ground balls go through but fly ball pitchers give up more homers so they'll have a lower whip compared to a higher era and some people will plan their staff one way or the other because that's just the way, the way they like to do it, uh, in which case their ERAs may be plus or minus more than two from their whip. 
Um, but that's sort of the other thing to look at is is kind of eyeball your staff. And, geez, do I have a lot of ground ballers? Well, maybe maybe there won't be the correction uh, sort of thing. It's going to be interesting uh, following the research in the next couple of years with the shifts and the and the lowering of the BABIP, if that if that dynamic uh, might be changing a little bit as far as your defensive placement, uh, how that's going to affect a fly ball pitcher versus a ground ball pitcher uh, going forward with the lowering whip and, and defensive alignments and that sort of thing. As a matter of fact, I talked with Jason Collette on Baseball HQ Radio on Tuesday, August 13th. It's still available at iTunes at BaseballHQ.com. You can find it. And Jason made the point that the uh, the increasingly aggressive defensive positioning is going to have to affect how we look at all pitcher baselines. And he made that exact point. He said there's already proof that fly ball pitchers are seeing their ERAs come down because they're just getting way better at putting their fielders where they need to put their fielders to prevent fly balls from dropping in. And as they get more aggressive and better at that with the increased analytic tools, that we are going to maybe see a, a wholesale change in how we value fly ball pitchers versus ground ball pitchers. And you may actually want a fly ball staff at some point, also taking into consideration that different parks reward uh, fly ball pitchers differently. Yeah, and that's going to that's gonna, uh, you know dovetail into the some of the other research I've done. If fewer hits means you're going from the windup more, if you're a guy that Goes if you're better from the line, if you give up all your home runs from the stretch, for particular pitchers, there may be a sort of an additive effect. Fewer hits, more more times from the windup is fewer home runs as well. So you know it all could uh, you know plus more fewer hits means more outs. So there could be an, an right. increased effect for fly ball pitchers uh, going forward, especially in the bigger parks. Yeah, and you know Johan Santander, you know Kurt Schilling. Guys like that, maybe uh, there may be more guys like that. So uh, getting back to this bullpen issue, do you think that expected ERA or expected FIP should take bullpen strength into account? It's such a small sample. I don't know that you can ever take absolutely everything into account. Uh, I think that you just got to do what you're doing and, and you know come up with these equations using the same sort of regression. Uh, I don't know. When I do projections and I you know I try to get goofy with wins, try to decide, you know, and I use a Pythagorean method of wins, and if a pitcher goes seven innings, I'll add on, you know, a little bit of an ERA of, of a two innings of a good bullpen, because I assume that the good close, you know, the good part of the bullpen comes in and picks up a win, and the bad part of the bullpen comes in and, you know, mops up a loss. Uh, so, I, you know, even in my own work, I, I sort of mess around a little bit with, with quality of bullpen, but I don't necessarily do it per team. I just assume that all teams have got you know, better better back-end pitching, relatively speaking, than front-end pitching. Because the, the samples you're working with, you know, you can only fine-tune it so much, and then you sort of get away from the fact that these aren't exact anyway. But the other hand, you know, the other person will argue the, the closer you can get, the better foundation you have. So maybe, you know, as we be able to crunch research better and find out, you know, what's true and what's not, you know, with computers, you know, it sure cuts out a lot of the hard work. You just have to program it. So if there's a way to program it, sure, let's let's get the bullpen in there. But I think there are probably some more important things right now to to focus on as well. Well, there's lots of people looking at it, so there's plenty of people to spread the work around. I was just thinking that, you know, if you get a certain combination of factors, you could really help or hurt your fantasy roster in that 
if you have a guy on your roster that you drafted as a starting pitcher because he's a ground ball pitcher, but he's one of those kind of guys who sometimes only goes six innings or so, and then he's sitting on a team with a bad bullpen, his own expected ERA might be quite a bit lower than his actual ERA because he's leaving the game and, and this bad bullpen is costing him uh, runs scored and possibly win opportunities as well. Yeah, no, that's true. And then, you know, so we all downgraded, you know, Detroit pitchers more anecdotally because of the, you know, the infield, you know, and now they go out and get Jose Iglesias, who somehow is able to make throws without even touching the ball. I don't know how he did that the other night. If you saw the little underhanded flip he made, uh, yeah. which is still, I think, the favorite play I've seen this year, favorite defensive play I've seen this year was Jose Iglesias. Um you know that you know Priscillo just went up a bit and Fister just went up a bit, so yeah, the defense is definitely going to impact um, the pitching. And I don't know. I, I, I have to think, I'm beginning to think about it because I, I read I read Jason's article myself and, and heard the podcast. You know, how am I going to handle projections next year? How you know am I going to incorporate a defensive aspect and a bullpen aspect to it? Uh, you know, so it, it is ruminating. It's it's running around. The wheels are turning anyway. Yes, I'm sure they're turning in lots of places. Uh, before I let you go, Todd, I want to close out this business about managing the categories. You mentioned that it's really important. A step a lot of owners forget to take is prorating the stats and especially prorating the gaps where you think you have opportunities to make make point gains. Right. Actually, this this I just want to reemphasize what you said before too, as far as you know, we we can talk about uh, average standings and and movement here and there, and it's more big picture to put you in the right mindset right now, not to totally categorically dismiss ERA and whip. It matters. It's just where you are in the standings. Every league has its own distribution. Every league is different. Uh, but w- while you're doing that, while you're looking at the categories and the distribution, if right now you find yourself, I don't know, 10 stolen bases behind, you may say to yourself, I need, you know, if I get 10 more steals, I can get four or five more points. I answer e- questions, email questions like this all the time. People give me their, their standings, and I'm, I'm 10 behind. I'm this behind. So I figure Starling Marte will get 10 more steals. So if I am able to trade for Marte, I get those points. Well, the problem with that is if you're 10 behind right now, and if everything stays the same, which I'm doing in air quotes, then you're really closer to 12 or 13 behind because we're probably close to three-quarters of the way through the season. And those 10 steals, you know, 9 turns to 12 as far as a round number. So 10 turns to 12 or 13 steals. You really need to make up 12 or 13 steals, not 10, to get those full amount of points. So you have to add 13 or 14 steals to your roster, not 10, or you end up falling short. Now, are all things equal? Probably not. You know, if you're you're doing this calculation on a team that's behind you and just picked up Curtis Granderson off of their... Uh, you know, injured reserve list, well, they're probably going to be in a, on a quicker home run pace than they are now. But even so, no matter when you make the adjustment, however you f- think about it, realize that, you know, gaps are really bigger. What's the expression? Things in the mirror are closer than they appear. Gaps are really larger than they appear. A lot of websites that people use to score their leagues offer projected stats, and of course they're subject to the problems of all projections, but they do give you an idea when you look at the end result. If you click on your league's uh, score sh- scoring su- system and it says projected standings to the end or whatever they call it, 
you can look at where you figured it be at the end of the year, all things considered equal, and you can say to yourself, oh, right now I'm nine steals back of picking up some points, but somebody in there is uh, going to, the, the nearest guy is actually going to be 14 ahead of me because, I don't know, maybe he traded for Rajai Davis or something like that. So if your league offers you a projected stat machine, don't say it's the gospel, don't treat it as it's the holy writ, but do look at it because sometimes it can give you an idea of where your opportunities actually lie versus looking at where you are now, which, as you said, often leaves out some of the things that have happened in the meantime and just simply doesn't take into account that there are still games to be played. Right. You, you really have to be careful, though, because you just mentioned Rajay Davis. Uh, you know, He's a guy that you know maybe I'm going to put him in one week and maybe I'm not going to put him in the other. So sometimes you look at it and that a team will have him on their reserve list and, you know, what the program does is it looks at the active roster, prorates the active roster out to the to the end of the season. So you, you, you do need to have a little star next to it and, and, and really understand what it's doing and where it's coming up with the numbers. But you're right. It's just it's another piece of information to help you. In my mind, I mean, it, it, it more kind of, you know, paves the way, opens the door get you thinking about a certain area that you may not have thought about, which is the same idea about just knowing that ERA and WIT move. What matters is where you are in the standings. But now you're not going to look at it and go, ah, I don't care. I, I don't care how small the gap is. I can't make it up. So that's what, to me, that's what the prorated standings do as well. Prorated, yeah, prorated standings do as well is, geez, I, maybe I can make up that gap. And then, you know, they said, don't assume, work at it, look at the players and, you know, and see if you can make the, get those points. And finally, Todd, you made an, another very important point in the column at BaseballHQ.com, which is don't automatically assume, and man, lots of guys do this, don't automatically assume that you have to try to strengthen your weakest category. Instead, take a look at where the gaps and opportunities are, and if you're weak, maybe accept your weakness, trade from your weakness, and try to pick up some points where there are points to be picked up. It makes no sense to improve in stolen bases because you're at three points in it and throw a whole bunch of resources into getting one point in stolen bases because that's how big the gap is when you could trade away your Rajai Davis to somebody else, help him, and meanwhile, make some hay in, in home runs and RBIs or something where the bunch is tighter or you have greater opportunity. Right. I mean, it, it, this is another way to hammer in the where the gaps, where the peaks and valleys in the standings are. Yeah, too many times you just take a look at the, you know, the you don't look at the categories. You look at the one that says 8, 10, 1, 3, 4, where it tells you where you are. Oh, geez. All right. I got a 10 out of 12 in homers. I guess I can, you know, I don't even look. You don't even look, you know, at the actual gaps. I get ten in homers. I'm going to offer Chris Davis for, uh, you know, for for Jonathan Villar, and you know, and maybe add in some another short my shortstop and his, you know, and, and get some steals. Yeah, you you really have to focus in on where you can gain, where you can lose, uh, and maximize that. You know, the steals and steals and saves are the two categories that it's the easiest to trade out of, uh, to you know, to get points in categories that are more correlated. But everybody knows that. So it's it's off it's 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 sometimes you're dealing with a supply and demand sort of situation. Um, the other thing, you know, when you when you make a trade to improve your category, you know, don't do it cosmetic. If you need homers, get homers. Don't you know get a guy that's going to get a couple more homers. You know, same with steals. Go after it. Don't just you know do a cosmetic move to add another couple homers to your roster because you don't know how the categories are going to be and you don't know how your opponents are going to react as well. 
just because you try to close the gap doesn't mean that they're not going to go out and make a move to increase the gap even more. Exactly right. Todd, thanks very much for talking with us. We'll catch up with you again next week. Looking forward to it, Patrick. Todd Zola writes for BaseballHQ.com, MastersBall.com, KFFL.com, and for ESPN.com in the insider section of their fantasy baseball coverage. This is Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. And before we wrap up this week's show, our regular Friday edition look at some pitchers and their opponents this coming week. Remember, our Baseball HQ matchup ratings run from plus 5, which is a must-start, to minus 5, which is a must-sit. Here's BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield looking at the Braves' Julio Tehran facing Washington and Minnesota's Kyle Gibson against the Mets. Julio Tehran gets a 2.06 matchup rating against Gio Gonzalez and the division rival Nationals on Sunday. Tehran's registered dominant starts in each of his last five outings, according to BaseballHQ.com's pure quality start metric, which is a skills-based metric measuring individual pitcher outings. Tehran's got 33 strikeouts in his last 30 innings to go along with a 331 expected ERA and 4.1 strikeout-to-walk rate. Tehran's a fine choice here as he's starting to emerge as one of the NL's best pitchers. Samuel Deduno might be a surprise choice to most as a pitcher to target here against the White Sox, but a 341 ERA over the last month and a 248 matchup rating make him an intriguing option. Chicago's light-hitting lineup certainly plays a part in this rating, as opposing righties have averaged nearly a 4 out of 5 on the pure quality start scale against them away from the cell this season. Deduno's lower strikeout rate does limit the chance for a dominant outing, but there's potential here in deeper leagues. Kyle Gibson, he's a risky option at home against the Mets with a matchup rating below 0. Despite Gibson's prospect pedigree, he was given an 8B prospect rating by BaseballHQ.com. His skills just haven't translated over the MLB level yet. Sure, he's only 25, but for this matchup, Gibson's 5.1 strikeout per 9 and 4.73 expected ERA should have you looking elsewhere. And finally, Ethan Martin. He'll be making his fourth career start at home against the Rockies on Monday. Martin's got a 6.28 ERA through his first three outings, and while his 10.0 strikeouts per nine so far is impressive in a small sample, he's given up plenty of walks and homers in that time as well. Colorado's averaging over four runs a game as a team this year, and given Martin's lack of experience and mediocre results so far, he's certainly a risky play in this matchup. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Hey, all you daily streaming league and salary cap gamers, Ryan Bloomfield, Troy Martell, and Brian Brickley do comprehensive starting pitcher matchup reports every day at BaseballHQ.com. And that's Baseball HQ Radio, our Friday news and notes edition for August the 16th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 36 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guests today, commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our League Watch News analysts were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our regular Friday correspondent was Todd Zola. And our HQ Matchups commentator was BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield. I'm Patrick Davitt. I'll be pinch-hitting for Dan Becker next week with a batting buyer's guide about six slumping sluggers sporting solid skills. And, of course, I also hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. 
Also remember, you can check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. Also, feel free to join people following my personal Twitter account at Patrick Davitt. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Tuesday with BaseballHQ.com managing editor and speculator columnist Ray Murphy on our next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt. <laughs>